All right, well, dig in the sermon bump this morning. That was great. Uh, as we get ready to get started this morning, continuing our series on the napkin and, and our core. After last week, I know most of you heard kind of Pastor Jay's presentation about the napkin. So I'm not going, going to go through every aspect of the napkin as he did last week, starting our sermon off um, just for the sake of time. But if you want to go back and listen to that, I'll remind you there's podcasts online. Uh, there's access that, that you have in a lot of different ways. You can write um, our assistant, Regina Quillen, and she has an actual whole Bible study on our, our goals and our core and who we are as a church. So we'd love for you to see that and, and really kind of be exposed to that as we continue to talk about that uh, on Sunday mornings here for a few weeks. So we are just excited to, to continue this series. But what I thought I would do, instead of going through it by detail, was still to talk about some of the elements. Because I think there are some elements before we get into the message time that, that I think are important for us. And from a different staff point of view, it's good to share that with y'all. So just from what you saw a minute ago, uh, with the home, the gathering, the communities. Of course, our center is the gathering. Where we are here this morning, worshiping God, this is the gathering. As we think about in just a few minutes, His supreme pleasure, this is what He desires of us, that we would indeed worship Him, that we would have that relationship with Him. So you start there, but then what was under the gathering? Does anybody remember? The welcome. I know you are looking at me like, oh, pop quiz. Um, the welcome is really what we're looking for there under the gathering. And we want people as they come to Chesapeake Fellowship to experience the, the welcome, that, that we are a loving church. I've heard people say over and over again, y'all welcomed us in a way we've never been welcomed before in terms of visiting churches and going other places. And that's awesome, but I think there's always room for improvement. So I'm proud of our first impressions ministry. We've had some more people step up to help with that, and that continues to go well. But we have to continually, as, as a church, be sensitive when somebody's visiting with us for the first time, and, and we want to reach out to them, encourage them, and make sure they feel like they have a place here at Chesapeake. So that gets us started with just the gathering aspect, the home. Now, the video that we saw, the bumper, had it listed a little different than I'm accustomed to. Typically, when I talk about the home, I think first about the yard. You know, those first-time meetings that we have with people in our neighborhood. One of my favorite tools for yard ministry is the um, basketball goal that's in front of our house. Now, for some of our neighbors, that's been a point of contention, some controversy. But for, mo- for the most part, for connecting with the people in our neighborhood, for connecting even with adults who come with children to shoot basketball at our basketball goal. It seems simple, but there's just not a lot of options on our side of the neighborhood. So that's where people come. And that's awesome that God uses that to to give us those opportunities to get to know people. And then even just in the last day or two, our kids have seen somebody next door is moving in to a house that's been vacant for months. And they're excited about that. And we're excited that, that maybe God could give us that opportunity to reach out to that family as we've tried with other families in our neighborhood. So just thinking through those examples, you go through the yard, you go to um, the family room and how we seek to reach out to people in our family rooms uh, or through that ministry, just having some type of study with our families and with people who are like family. And, you know, we, we've seen God use that in a lot of different ways, whether um, we, it's, it's a little bit of blurring things because we do our devotion a lot of times at mealtime, but it's still that family room concept. And then, you know, having other ways of reaching out to those people that we meet in the neighborhood. So you move on from the family room and you think about the deeper opportunities that we have, and that's the kitchen. We think about that kitchen opportunity. 
We've had a few of those from time to time where we've gone deeper with people and tried to help them work through exactly what their faith means. And God continues to, to open doors, whether it's somebody in our neighborhood or someone who's visiting here with Chesapeake Fellowship. Wherever God opens doors in the community, we invite them in. We try to build those relationships and share our faith with them. So you see that kind of developing. And then, of course, the, the communities is really my heart as I work with missions um, locally, nationally, and internationally. You see how God is working through the communities of Hampton Roads and around the world. And I think about just what he's doing through our church. And just one example we're going to hit just in a few minutes is East Asia. We've had some people in our church, a family in particular and some others, who said, yes, this summer we want to go as a family and serve in East Asia and work with the people there. You'll remember one of the missionaries from there actually spoke just a few months ago here at our church at Chesapeake. So God continues to grow our work as we think about the napkin, as we think about who we are as a church, and it's exciting to see what he's doing. So we move on from there today, and we, we try to tackle this concept of the core. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 10. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 10. Thinking about God's supreme pleasure today, and how that fits into the core of who we are. We really want to focus on that and, and see what God's Word has to say as you look at that Second Corinthians passage, you see verses 9 and 10 very simply say, Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. So whether we're home or away, wherever God has us, wherever we find ourselves in this journey, in this pilgrimage in life, we know that, that God is working in our lives, that he has a purpose, he has a plan for us. And it says here, we make it our aim, we make it our goal, we make it the purpose of our lives, our supreme pleasure is to bring him pleasure. Is to make him at the center of our universe to make him the goal that we have. As um, Luke, I believe it's in chapter 9, says, that if we want to follow Jesus, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow after him. So we see that goal, we see that, that desire that we have to have to be followers of Christ. Now, I know there's a new movie out. Everybody's talking about Jackie Robinson. And I, I haven't heard it. I can't say that I'd recommend it necessarily. There may be some themes in there. But one thing I read about it is, as Jackie is going up to bat, there's a young boy in the stands and this young boy sees Jackie and he knows this is a significant moment because up until then, a, an African-American uh, man has not played professional baseball. And here Jackie Robinson has this significant shot, this opportunity. And we see Jackie up at the plate and, and the young boy is saying, please, Lord, let him show them what he can do. Let him show them what he can do so that he can make a statement for their, their people, for uh, the fact that, that African-Americans have a place in baseball. And you're thinking, what does this have to do with supreme pleasure? You see, just as that boy wanted to see the supreme pleasure of their people expressed through Jackie Robinson, God is looking at us today. And he wants his pleasure to be manifested. To, he wants to be glorified through us, the church, through his people. So he's cheering us on, just like that boy in the stands. It's not showing him what we can do necessarily, but what he can do through us. He wants to do so much through us when we place our faith in him. 
when we submit to him, when we say, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I'm not going to stop there, but I'm going to grow in my faith. I'm going to become a a person who's not lukewarm for the gospel, but I'm going to be serious about this. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right, and I'm going to follow him with my whole heart. Not halfway, not lukewarm, as the book of Revelation says. God desires all of us. So we see here this morning that God is, is seeking us to give him supreme pleasure to, to please him through our lives. And that's what the writer, with, what Paul was saying to the church at Corinth. They weren't perfect by any means. They had sins, they had temptations, but God wanted to work through them. You go on through that, and it talks about the tribunal of Christ. Now, how many of y'all have used the word tribunal in a conversation this week? Probably not many of y'all dare to say. But the de- basic idea is a court, it, it's a, a group that's been gathered to, to make a judgment and you see there this, this tribunal, this, this group of judgment there, that we must all appear there. That is a reality for all of us. I don't know if you realize that, but yes, 100% of, of the people in this room will die one day. It's no fun to think about, but it is the reality. And 100% of the people here will stand before him in judgment. So we have to consider that. We have to consider where we will stand before that tribunal of Christ and that goes on to say that, that, we'll, <clears throat> that each may be repaid for what he's done in the body, whether good or worthless. Now, I know I've got some Catholic friends in the room, or former Catholic friends, and sometimes when we hear that, that we're going to be repaid for what's good or worthless, you know, we think, okay, I have to earn my way into heaven. I have to do a lot of really good things in order to go to heaven. But that's not what it's saying there. Really, it's saying that, that God wants us to glorify him, bottom line. He wants us to give him glory. Our salvation comes only through Jesus. We know for by grace we've been saved. That not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works that no man should boast. So if any of you are here today and you think, well, maybe my good will outweigh my bad, it doesn't work that way. It's all about his grace. He wants to save us by that amazing grace. And once we're saved, he puts in this desire, like I said a minute ago, where I want to be 100% for him. I don't want to be halfway. And if you're 100% for him, that means you do some, some things differently. You do some things that almost seem crazy sometimes. I can name a few examples from, from all people in this room who have done some things that seem crazy, but it's because God is leading them to do that. The numbers may not add up, add up but God has led them to do that. So you see those examples here this morning of just what God's Word says in this introductory passage. And you think about that. The, the, one of the first things we need to realize is that each day our goal is to make God smile. Each day our goal is to make God smile. And I've kind of just run through that uh, for you with some of these examples as we talked about um, you know, pleasing God, as we talked about you know, what it means to truly make him happy. Um, But, you know, you think about that in terms of future accountability, the judgment seat of Christ. We just went through that passage and talked about the fact that we would um, one day all face him in judgment. You talk about today's evaluation, that we lay everything we do before Christ's judgment seat. So those are two realities we already know about. We see in God's word are plain to us. But then you move on through that and you think about just how does that really come, come to life? How do you make God smile? I know for me, I love making my family smile. Whether it's bringing home unexpected flowers for my wife, whether it's taking my son on a little uh, discovery trip this, this week on just a walk through 
downtown Norfolk and we discovered a, a pagoda by the Wisconsin. We had seen the Wisconsin. It's, it's hard to miss. But um, just a little farther away from the, the Wisconsin downtown, there's a pagoda that we had never seen before. So we walked around. We saw the fish. We um, you know, saw this, this um, trees and things that were Chinese in nature. Then we went up to the top of the pagoda, had an overlook there. It was beautiful. We've been here five years and never seen that before. So, you know, doing little things like that, exploring, made Graham smile this week. And that was special for me. You think about that, and a lot of times we're, we're wondering, okay, what exactly is it that makes God smile? It can be a mystery for us. You know, we think of the things, that, the images like I was talking about a minute ago, that are religious or, you know, observances that we do, that we think, okay, if I, if I do this list of rules or of, of religious practices, then maybe that would be pleasing to God. But I think it's much bigger than that. I think God looks much more at the heart and he wants to see where we are spiritually. We think about that, there's a reality where we have to help every member to live by faith and not by sight. Helping every member live by faith and not by sight. And there are two components of that, basically. The faith aspect, pretty simple, our relationship with God that we would have that relationship that he desires with us. He wanted so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross to extend that invitation to us. That kind of relationship is what he desires of us. Or their sight, our senses. You know, we could look around and say, you know, there's a lot of, of bad things in this world. There's a lot of hurting people. Um, you know, you may just not be able to really justify by looking at the world the existence of God, the reality of God, you may really struggle with that. Well, I did bring a little bit of a visual as we think about that to, sh- to share with y'all. And I think some of you have seen this visual before, as I mentioned in the greeting time. It's a little beat up. It's been through a lot. But um, <laughs> it's a Bluebell ice cream container. And it is empty, so don't get excited. No food in the, in the auditorium here. I'm trying to follow the rules. Sorry to disappoint. Um, but... This ice cream container is a lot like what our senses do to us, a lot like what the world promises for us. Because we see this, and by the way, if you're wondering, it's cookies and cream. So I know this, that's pretty important for some people. Um, I still I'm, I prefer lemon bliss myself. But anyway, <clears throat> not trying to make you hungry. But the world looks incredible. And, you know, the world has billboards that say, you have to do this, you have to try this. The people are talking about it on Facebook, and they have pictures of several gallons stacked up for their family, and they're excited about this. And I'm not getting any endorsements from this, by the way. Just wanted you to know that. I should have put tape over, I guess. I don't know, maybe this will be online. But um, Bluebell, you know, is, is great. It's great ice cream. But eventually, what happens with, with this carton? It's empty. It runs out. It doesn't last. There's so much about this world that seems incredible, that really entices us, that you know, gets us hungry for this, this flavor of ice cream, but it doesn't last. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, when willing to walk by faith and not by sight, that's what lasts. That's what makes the difference in our lives. This runs out. It makes a lot of promises, but it's fickle. It passes one day. But what Christ promises us in his word, what he shows us, 
through that relationship with him truly last forever. So uh, I know some of you are disappointed. I have to put up the bluebell for now, but <laughs> maybe we can have that for a treat one day at the cafe. It's a nice idea. Who's, oh, yeah, we are signing up later on if y'all want some ideas for what to bring. Anyway, um, we're going to move on. So thinking about that, distinguishing, working through you know, faith or sight, how do we get past that? There's a few things that we can consider this morning of what really gives God pleasure as we look at making God smile, as we look at, at pleasing God in our lives today, at the core of who we are as believers. First thing is salvation. Salvation of sinners. How many of us are sinners in this room? Everybody, all right? I think we know that. If you've ever been to a Baptist church, you know we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. But that salvation aspect is incredible. I picked some of these guys here as a picture, and I didn't get their permission. So if you're here and you're embarrassed, I apologize. But, you know, these guys are my heroes because they were lost. They had been walking in the world's ways, and God came in and saved them. God changed their lives forever. And many of you have that same testimony. But I'm saying these guys had a lot that was against them. And they have taken that step of faith. They have said, you know what? I'm going to serve Jesus Christ. I want to place my faith in him. So I just appreciate these guys. And in case you don't know, the one over there is Shaquan. And that was, I believe, just last Sunday, right? So excited about um, how God continues to save people and change lives because they're not walking by sight, they're walking by faith. They're placing their faith in Jesus Christ. Luke 15, 7 says very simply, in the same way there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now you hear me talking about these guys as my heroes, and you hear the excitement in my voice, and as I've talked to a lot of y'all, you get excited about that. You get excited about uh, Kaya's baptism was just a couple of weeks ago and how we celebrated that. You get excited about some of the other things that God is doing in our church. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the party, the celebration that's going on in heaven over these souls? I can't imagine. I try to think about March Madness and all the celebrating that went on then. I try to think about other sporting events or other things here on earth, and it doesn't compare. Life change sets heaven on fire, sets heaven to in a way of celebrating that we cannot imagine. And guys, we need to capture some of that in our own lives. We need to realize that this salvation of sinners truly is something that brings God pleasure. It's truly something that God values and desires to see as a priority for us, as a church, as a core issue, a core um, matter of importance for each one of us here at Chesapeake Fellowship. So the salvation of sinners is definitely important to God as we think about what brings Him pleasure. We move on to the next one. We see obedience. We think about obedience and we think, okay, um, you know, that has something to do with children, right? Children have to obey their parents. But, you know, this picture that I'm showing here is, is a great couple who happens to be here today. They didn't know I was going to use their picture. Uh, they're a little red. But, you know, they have been obedient to the call of our country, to defend our country, to serve here in our country, and to make sacrifices on behalf of our freedoms. And you think about that and you see what they've done in obedience to God and, and obedience to, to his call for their lives. And that brings him pleasure. 
God desires for us to have that type of obedience where we say, yes, Lord, whatever it is you're calling us to do, we want to be faithful. And I know there's even others in the room who have made that sacrifice in the past who are still making it. And we want to say thank you again. This is not a day where we typically do that. It's, it's not any of those special days of observance. But, you know, we can't thank you enough for what you do for our country. And thinking about that, it's a great example for what God desires of us. He desires for us to be obedient. And it's not just in the big sin issues that we often think about. It's not just the big matters of, of tithing or um, not doing some of the, the Ten Commandments or things like that. But it's the little things of obedience that God desires of us each day. It's those little steps of obedience that He desires from us. Or it could be something even bigger, like He could be calling you to do something on mission for Him. And you may be resisting that. You may be fighting that because you don't know all of the, all of the, all the details. You don't know how it all is going to pan out. But obedience is something God desires of us. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen says very simply, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands for this is everyone's duty. Did he say this is just the, the minister's duty? No. He said, this is everyone's duty, that we should strive to be obedient. Now, is that to say that we're obedient like the Pharisees and and the Sadducees where we're beating up on people, we're showing people how good we are, you know, that type of, of obedience? No, it's obedience to the basics of what God is calling us to do. I would dare say, and this is a hard statement, but if we as a church were truly obedient to the basics of the faith, this would be a different place. I think we have some issues at times with being obedient to just the basics of what God calls us to do and sharing our faith and giving our our money and doing just the simplest things of praying and spending time in God's word like we need to be. If we were obedient like that, I think it would change us as a church. It's not easy to say, but it's true. One other thing we see here, what brings God pleasure is brokenness. And um, Psalm 51, 16 through 17, you've heard this before. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you, O God, will not despise. Psalm 51, 16 and 17. You hear that verse, and you think about the fact, you know, maybe it, it isn't those religious observances. Maybe it isn't these grandiose things I can do for God, but maybe it's, it's the basics of surrendering my heart and my life to him. Whatever he wants from me, whatever he desires. You see a couple of pictures here. And um, this is from East Asia. I mentioned earlier, we've got some people from Chesapeake Fellowship who have taken that step and said, you know what? We want to be on mission this summer for God. We want to serve in East Asia. Our um, missionary there, we see um, on the right side, uh, he was with us previously, and he, he shows us just recently in one of his updates um, a, a little town that he went into, and he would ask the people, you have this idol here, this, this God that you pray to that's made of stone. You really believe that has power? And they said, yes, that is our God. So, so Brian is there on the front lines sharing his faith, reaching out to people who are blatantly... <clears throat> enslaved to idolatry and he has others with him and now we will be able to send a group this summer lord willing to reach out and to minister in those places uh, in east asia so 
Brokenness is not necessarily about the sackcloth and the ashes. We like to make it that. We like to say, oh, I've got to, to suffer all of these things in order to truly be broken. But I don't believe that's what it's about. I believe the brokenness that we see here in Psalm 51 that God's calling us to really is a brokenness of our spirit. Where we say, God, whatever you, will, you want of us, whatever your will is, yes, Lord. Did you hear me use that phrase, yes, Lord? That's, that sounds pretty normal, right? Yes, Lord. How many times do we say no, Lord? Such a contradiction. If, if he's Lord of all, he has to have rule. He has to have a say in every aspect of our lives. And that means that he wants to, to truly be Lord of all in our lives. So you see those three aspects of what brings God pleasure. The salvation of sinners, our, our obedience and brokenness. And that helps us to make that first step of making God smile. But we have to continue to move on here as we think about the second part. And that's that our commitment to God's pleasure as a church. We focus on who we are as a church. It's not just about us as individuals making God smile, but that we as a church would find that way that we truly can please God, that we can give God pleasure. So we see that today in just a few things. We focus on God's pleasure to dismantle division. Now, I wasn't able to get the theme to uh, Mission Impossible ready this morning, but you get the idea, dismantling division. You want to dismantle a bomb. You want to, 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 to just completely counteract a plan that, that is in force to dismantle or to thwart the work of God here on earth. So we see that example here as we think about this idea of, of God's supreme pleasure is that he really wants us to dismantle these um, battles that are going on. He wants us to dismantle these attacks. And I, I had to confess um, on Facebook this week, uh, when we talk about core, um, you know, there's some, there's some concepts where, sure, it sounds like exercise, and, and I can deal with that. I, I believe in that every now and then. Um, but there's another aspect that I thought about that really kind of helps me to envision this, this whole idea of core and what the core is about. I don't know if we have many Star Wars fans in here. Uh, I may be just talking to a few of the young ones, but I see a few older ones too. Well, you know, I think about that scene that I posted on Facebook this week of where Luke is like flying in this, um, I don't know what you'd call it, just like a chasm or something. It's part of the Death Star. And he's going to actually bomb the core of the Death Star and it's going to explode. But he's got like all of the bad guys. He's got Darth Vader on his backside. He's got these guys really trying to attack him. And it's intense. You know, he's talking to the people who are telling him he's got to use the special kind of, um, and I don't remember all the words for it, I'm sure a lot of these guys would, but the special bomb you know, device that clicks down in front of your face and, and shows you when to push the button. And, and he's you know, trying to drive in this really narrow kind of chasm, and, and he's you know, intensely involved, and all of a sudden he hears the voice to use the force. Now, I'm not endorsing that. I know that's not the force that we believe in. But you, you get the idea that, that here Luke is trying to, to carry out the supreme mission, and he gets rid of the, the whole device that helped him to, make, to shoot the bomb. And eventually, you know, he, he was able to, to pick just the right time to fire that shot, to pull out, and to escape destruction. Guys, when I think about that scene, and I think about the explosion of the Death Star... I think about what forces are attacking us as a church. Not that we, our church is the Death Star, don't get me wrong. But what forces are, are, are just completely have their sights set on us as the church, and we have to pursue them. 
We have to make sure by God's grace and God's power work in our lives that we're not going to allow them to dismantle Chesapeake Fellowship, but that we're going to take a stand for Jesus Christ here in Chesapeake and we're going to make a difference. We're going to fight the good fight that Paul talks about in Scripture. We have to take that seriously. We have to accept that challenge. But it's, it's an individual as well as a church challenge that we all have to face. Another theme is that we have conflict when we exalt our pleasures above God's pleasure. And that's James 4, 1 through 3. And it says very simply, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have. So you kill, you covet, but you cannot get battle with You cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So we see that example from James and James again is just trying to challenge people not to exalt your pleasures over God's pleasures. God's pleasure is supreme in our life. It should be supreme. As I was talking earlier about that, that idea that we cannot be lukewarm believers. We have to be either hot or cold for Jesus Christ. And that's what God desires of us. He desires for us to have that kind of focus and that kind of faith where we are willing to fight that fight, where we are willing to exalt his pleasure above our own. But it's very tempting on a daily basis for that to sneak in, for that to attack us. Galatians 1.10 also talks about pleasing God and not men. It says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. I heard someone confess this week, uh, someone that, that I respect a great deal. He said, you know, as much as, as I desire God's will and God's leadership in my life, there are times when in my marriage relationship, it's very easy for me to, to kind of put my wife's desire above my, my following of God, to put her desire before God's. And, you know, that's a temptation that we face even in a marriage relationship, that there could be other things that, that compete for what God desires of us in our families. So we have to strive for that even as individuals, as, as a church, that we would keep the main thing the main thing, that we would know what the priority is in our marriage relationships, in our relationships here at church, that God would have first place in our lives. We think about those things, and there's three very simple um, aspects to that. I know you haven't gotten to fill out a blank in just a couple of minutes, so I don't want you to get nervous. But um, (laughs) we're passionate for the salvation of sinners. You've heard me talk about that already, but it was more the individual context of us making God smile. This is the church. What are we as Chesapeake Fellowship going to do to see the salvation of sinners, to see people reached with the gospel? That's where the communities come in. That's where you see this baptism here. You know, we may talk about baptism a lot from week to week because we feel like it's reaching people. We're not baptism, but just it's a symbol or it's a, an expression of life change that God is reaching people through our church. And we want to see people coming to Christ. We want to see people baptized. So we will talk about baptism, but we need to be thinking, what are the other ways? What are the other things that God desires for us to do to reach out to people. And the fact that Cuffy started this week is tremendous. We fought many battles trying to get Cuffy back up and going. And I appreciate the work that Julie Albritton did that many others have done just in praying for this uh, opportunity. And God has opened that door 
now for us to see uh, ministry at Cuffey start back. But that's not the only way that we as a church need to be reaching out to people who, who don't know Jesus. We have to be going on the pathways, reaching people through the bridges of reaching out to Cuffey and other places, through the crossroads of East Asia. Those, all those things are challenges for us as a church to reach out with the good news. We also know that we persistently teach God's commands. Persistently teach God's commands. And you know, we, you hear us talking about it from time to time. Pastor Jay was praying this morning. They had um, two life groups to meet last night uh, away from the school here. We've got a life group that meets tonight. And, you know, I can testify that is an incredible time for me and my family as we get together in God's Word, as we do various studies and talk about how God is working in our lives. We're praying for each other. We're helping each other through (laughs) uh, car accidents and just how all that comes out. out. Uh, It's just amazing how, you know, these types of relationships help us to bear one another's burdens in kind of a, a microcosm or a subgroup within the larger group of the church. So it's just great how God wants to work and wants to continue moving through us, uh, through teaching his commands, through having these life groups. I know even this weekend, our students, I think there were like eight of our students that were involved over at First Norfolk with a Bible study over there, the Renew retreat that they had. Incredible opportunity for them to hear God's word and to grow in their faith. So uh, we just really do want to emphasize that as being a way to battle against the attacks on our core uh, and the division that, may, that can occur. And then the last one talks about focusing our corporate worship on God's pleasure. And I know you hear corporate worship and you think, okay, is Bluebell Ice Cream planning a church? What kind of corporation are we talking about here? No, it's not Bluebell Ice Cream. It's Chesapeake Fellowship. As we gather together as the body of Christ, this is what we call corporate worship. This is worship of God's people. And as we think about that, you see the, the picture there on a weekly basis of how God works in our fellowship, how God changes lives. And this is just one example with our preschoolers when they sang. But there's so many things in the life of our church that I think about on a regular basis that, that show us how, how God's intersected with people through our church, how lives are being changed, and how exciting it is to be a part of what God is doing right here at Chesapeake. So you see that, and you, you're reminded of it, and as, as much pleasure as we get as individuals from seeing God work, God is pleased. God is pleased by what is happening here. And he wants to see it grow. He wants to be glorified through us as a church. 